Hi, and welcome to The Backlot. I'm Tova Leiter, moderator and director of the New York Film Academy guest lecture series. In this episode, we will take an in-depth look at one of my great guests and hear about her experience in the entertainment industry. And now, Eric Conner will take you through the highlights of this Q&A. Hi, I'm Eric Conner, senior instructor at New York Film Academy. And in this episode, we bring you an actress who's truly having her moment. Only four years since her supporting role in Neighbors 2 is now the star of Caitlin Moran's How to Build a Girl. She was Lady Bird's BFF, part of the dynamic duo in Booksmart, and will be playing the country's most legendary intern as Monica Lewinsky in Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story. Anyone who saw her opposite the divine Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly can attest she can sing. Yes, we're talking about Beanie Feldstein. Miss Feldstein spoke to our students at length about how to build a girl. So if you get a chance to rent it or stream it, please do so. If not, it's okay. We got the trailer for you right here. Good evening, London. This is the place you come where you can dance and scream and be with your own kind and where everything is possible. How do I get there from here? For starters, I'm going to be a rock critic. I have an interview for the job. I'm Johanna Morrigan. <laughs> then I'm going to totally transform myself for £9.48. A nice girl gets nowhere, but a bitch can make a name for herself. Time for your first blood, darling. What do you do when you build yourself? Build up and tear down. Till one day you'll just... Before her movies, TV shows, and Broadway debut, Beanie Feldstein was one of those L.A. rarities, a performer actually born in L.A. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I, like when I say obsessed with musicals, I mean, I don't know another two-year-old that knew all of Funny Girl backwards and forwards, but I did. I just, it was all I ever wanted to do. And so starting at seven years old, I started doing community theater in Santa Monica. And I just did community theater my whole upbringing. I stumbled into this amazing community theater and I really kind of grew up there. That is where I learned everything that I know. And then my high school had a beautiful kind of arts department overall and and specifically theater. And so I got to continue doing stuff there. And throughout that time, because I grew up in LA, there were opportunities for me to maybe audition at a certain point. But my parents were really beautifully kind of, they really parented us each differently. And what I love so much about that is that they looked at me and they said, Bean, you love school. And if you were to be a child actor, we're not going to stop you, but you would not be able to go to school in the same way. And you love being social. You love being with your friends and learning together. And that's such a part of who I am that they said, we want for you to keep that experience in your life and you will have your entire life to act. And we can't wait for you to do that. But they sort of made me think about what that would really mean if I were to be a child actor. And so I Together with them, we sort of were like, if something theater-based came up, it would be maybe a three, four-month commitment. 
but to sign six, seven years to a TV show, if I were ever lucky enough to get one, which I didn't, uh, I didn't audition. They just were like, do you want to spend your whole high school years in a show and not be around other kids? And I was so grateful that they sort of, they were like, we will try to support you in every way that you want, but we just want you to think this through. So I decided to just kind of be in school. And then again, I made that decision for college. I ended up going to Wesleyan and I majored in sociology. And I just, I really do have a very academic side to myself and to my brain. And I just have always known I wanted to be an actor. Like I came out with jazz hands. I just knew that's who I was. But I did think to myself at this point, I was old enough to make the decision for myself. And I was like, I'm not going to get another four years to just do academia. And that was something that I thought I would miss. So for me, and I truly believe every single person has their own path. So many of my family members and best friends didn't go to college or went to a conservatory, et cetera. So everyone kind of needs what they need for their own lives. But I, I decided to go to school to do a BA. And part of me is so, I wish I could pick all of your brains because I didn't get that conservatory experience and I wish I could have done it all. But for me, because I had done so many, I think I'd done like 60 musicals by the time I was 17, I just sort of thought, what do I need to balance out myself? And I was so lucky my whole life to have such a beautiful arts education that I felt that that academic side was not sort of fully realized. Her extensive time on stage deepened her lifelong appreciation of musicals, but also taught her what was needed to be a true working artist. Well, first thing I thought of was doing Into the Woods. <laughs> um, I am a student, forever student, and an obsessive fan of Stephen Sondheim, I think. I say that his music is sort of the soundtrack to my humanity. Like, I think I think what I love so much about musicals, which, which very much helps me in acting that isn't musical, is musicals externalize emotion. Like, just naturally, that's what songs do, is they're externalizing the interior. And so often I find it's, it's so amazing to externalize it so you can put it back in for something like film, which is much more intimate and close up. You don't need to externalize it as much, but... For me, I have to put it out there to understand it and then bring it back in. So I believe musicals are very crucial to that process, for me at least. I was also in my high school improv troupe. I was never good, and I want to make that very clear, and I'm not being self-deprecating. Trust me, I was never very good. But I think training the muscle of how to be on your toes and support another person is great for life in general, but also amazing for other kind of artistic experiences that you will you will be a part of, and also maybe trying something different. I think high school or even a program like this, it's such a great way to kind of explore a different side of creating that you don't want to pursue as a profession. So in high school, I produced our festival of student written plays, and that was like a completely different, amazing whirlwind than acting, and that more producerial side and seeing what goes into it and and keeping tabs on all the directors and everything. And yeah, just trying something Something not necessarily a whole nother type of thing like painting or something, but just trying a different aspect or a different side of what you want to do. So I would say if you're planning to direct, try producing, try acting, try doing tech, whatever aspect of it is available to you in your learning experience, wherever that might be, whether it's high school or college or et cetera, because it's not often that you get to step into someone else's shoes in the working world. And I think it, it creates empathy when you understand what other people are doing in their jobs. Speaking of Stephen Sondheim, 
Miss Feldstein will be appearing opposite her best friend Ben Platt in the screen version of Merrily We Roll Along, coming to theaters around 2040. No, that's not a joke. Director Richard Linkletter is upping his own Oscar-nominated boyhood by filming this movie over 20 years to capture the aging of its leads. So, mark your calendars. Beanie Feldstein already accomplished another one of her dreams by appearing on Broadway in a legendary musical with an even more legendary star. I had such a unique audition process for Hello, Dolly. They had cast and announced the entire cast, top to bottom, every single solitary person working on the show. And then at the bottom, it said, casting for Minnie Faye to be announced at a later date. And I saw that and I was like, oh my God. well, actually, it started months ago when they announced Bette was doing it. I was like, Bette Miller is coming back to Broadway. It was like my female comic Jewish dreams coming true. So I had been looking forward to the production forever. Believe it or not, I did not grow up on Hello, Dolly. So I had seen maybe seen the film once as a child, but it wasn't a show that I had done, which there are a few that I hadn't done as a child at my community theater. But the producers of Lady Bird produced Hello, Dolly. And we were filming the scenes in Lady Bird where my character sings. And they thought, well, maybe, I mean, the character is never played by someone like Beanie, but maybe we could have her audition for Minnie Fay. So on the weekend after we filmed the Merrily we roll along scenes in Ladybird, I learned the entire Minnie Fay packet and I was in LA filming the movie and I went in to the casting office here and it was just me and a casting assistant and a pianist just that in a room and I did the whole packet on a camera I mean it's such a unique experience usually you audition for theater live and I did it and I came home and I got a call from my agent and I thought Oh, the tape didn't work. And I answered and I was like, did the tape not work? Like I can drive back. And he was like, you got it. And I was like, <laughs> I could cry right now. I literally was like, what? And I fell off my bed and I started crying and I ran downstairs and I told my parents, it was like one of the most magical days of my life. But then I made my agent email it to me in writing because I thought I had dreamt it. <laughs> it's like, I made that up. You have to write it down for me to, to tell me that it's true. So to say it was my lifelong dream coming true is an understatement. And then for Bette Midler to be there was insane. <laughs> Bette Midler, there is a reason that she is who she is. And it's because there is no one that works harder. And that was... I mean, not surprising because of course she would work so hard because that's why she's so good, but she's just effervescent. She could walk on stage and have the audience in the palm of her hand in an instant. But the reason she's as good as she is is because she never sits down. They would call a break because equity rules, you have to have a break. And she would not stop. At all of us, I was like 23. I would be like chugging my water, like shoveling a snack. She was rehearsing her lines. She was working on a dance step. She was figuring out how to take off her coat in like the best, like every, the specificity of her performance to get to be in the room while she crafted it was one of the most surreal joys of my life. But I think the greatest thing I learned from her is to never stop working hard because even at 71 and the divine Miss M, she read the script cover to cover, I think before almost every performance. She's so fiercely hardworking and generous and funny as all hell. <laughs> it was a fantastic experience in a Tony-winning revival. 
even though Miss Feldstein's time on stage made some of her film work a bit more complicated. One of my favorite stories of myself kind of overcompensating was I was doing Hello Dolly and I had to do ADR for Ladybird. And I remember saying to myself, because Hello Dolly was, it's not only a musical and it's live, but it was, it's a farce. It's so larger than life that I remember saying to myself when I walked into the booth, I was like, just don't scream. Like, just don't, because I, not that I was screaming, but don't project, you know, like don't give that kind of boost that I had been giving for 200 performances up until this point. And mm-hmm. I hadn't done a film since I shot Lady Bird, so I was kind of nervous to get back into that kind of feeling. And I will never forget we were doing it and Greta was like <laughs> being like over the mic and I was like, yeah. And she was like, can't hear a word you're saying. Like I had overcompensated so much that I was like, like a mouse whispering into the the microphone. And she was like, I mean, we can't, we're not getting any of it. She was like, just relax. You know what you're doing? Like she was, I mean, she's my favorite person on planet earth, but she was just like, you're okay. You're, you're overcompensating, like reel it back to a normal speaking tone. So there are definitely moments that going between the two, it's the greatest joy of my working life is to get to do that. And I, I look to Lori Metcalf and Tracy Letts and all of these Alice and Janie, all these incredible actors, and also in the case of Tracy, Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights, that kind of go wherever they want. Like the medium is not their main focus, but rather the story they're telling and the people they're telling it with. And I hope to be like them for my whole life and kind of get to move about between. I took a class, as I said, I'm such a student brain that for me, the biggest piece of advice I could say is don't be afraid to ask questions ask any person on any camera department that I've worked with, I ask 9,000 questions. The camera still is so, it's like a new friend that I love, but I don't yet feel like totally comfortable to tell everything to yet. Like I still kind of every, every experience you work on has a different crew, a different tone, a different piece of equipment. Sometimes you're filming on film and sometimes you're working on Alexa. There's so many different kind of ways to make a movie or to make a television series that, I ask 10,000 questions and I try to kind of be proud of that fact. Sometimes it can be intimidating around some of your heroes to continue to ask that question. But um, I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. Ms. Feldstein further detailed how acting for theater versus film necessitates finding a different source of energy. The biggest thing for me is the battle of adrenaline. So when you're doing theater and you can attest, there is so much adrenaline coming from the audience that gets into your body from the audience. There's so much energy that you are taking in. And I did Hello Dolly for a year. I did over 300 performances. And every night you get that adrenaline. I mean, these are people there to see Bette Midler. So you can only imagine the adrenaline coming from the audience and the energy that turns into adrenaline. But at the same token, you are doing the exact same two hours of material night after night for 300 plus shows. So there is a push and pull there. You feel this jolt of new energy every night, but you're also doing the exact same thing every single performance. Whereas for film, the battle of adrenaline is completely different in the fact that you only have these maybe five hours to give this moment to this person's story all you can give because it is the only time you will ever get to do it but you have to do it over and over and over and over. So it's so funny because 
to me, it's almost like, okay, you're a singer, but are you an opera singer? Are you a country singer? The mediums are so different in some ways. And I think the biggest would be for me, like, again, that adrenaline thing. Like if you're on a set, you have to create that adrenaline feeling for yourself, but you also can't let it boil over because it is a much more intimate medium. Whereas on stage, you feel the audience, but you also in your own self, your body's going, you've done this 300 times. So it's this push and pull of where the energy comes from and then how many times you have to give it your all in that day. Before she made her leap from stage to TV and film, Beanie Feldstein learned how to bring that energy into auditions. Never an easy process, especially when you've got finals. I started formally putting myself out there and auditioning my senior year of college because I thought all my other friends are taking the MCAT or going on job interviews. And if I don't start to kind of meet casting directors and get to audition, I will feel behind. So it was... um, like the fall of my senior year. And then I was so lucky. I got um, a one-liner on Orange is the New Black while I was still in school. I was in my like thesis class for sociology when I saw my phone go off and I was like, <gasps> and I, ran, I was like, let's go to the bathroom. And I ran outside and they were like, you got the one-liner. I was like, yes. And then doing that one line on Orange is the New Black got me a, like a small role, but still a guest star role on a Genji Cohan pilot. So my senior spring break, I did this pilot, um, which never made the air. And I can't believe it. I can say that objectively because I truly had like six or seven lines, but it was a crazy cast. It was like Eddie Izzard, Karen Gillan. I mean, the list goes on and on. It was extraordinary. And it was Bruce Miller and Genji Cohan and Gus Van Zandt directed it. So it was just like, I was just like, how did I get here? And it was about Puritans. So we were all in like full Puritan garb. And then I just kept auditioning and I was so lucky. I just keep saying that, but it's the truth. And I think it's important to continually acknowledge it because I am so lucky. But I auditioned for and got Neighbors 2, which is the sequel to the movie with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, about two months after I graduated from college. So I just, luck. The answer is love. I'm a kind of intensely hardworking person. Like I'm extremely dedicated. And so I, I don't take any experience for granted. And that's a very crucial part of who I am. Her resume and experience continued to grow, eventually leading to her audition for How to Build a Girl. Clearly, Miss Feldstein nailed it, despite the fact that the character comes from an entirely different part of the world. The way How to Build a Girl came into my life was I was in New York doing Hello, Dolly! on Broadway at the time, and I got an email from my agent who always gives me, like, incredible kind of long descriptions of who's working on a project, what the story's about, what the character's about, his or her opinion. Like, they're always really collaborative. And one of my agents, Daniel, he called me and he said, you have to read this script. And I was so intrigued because it was so kind of, like, He was like, I just need you to read it. I'm not telling you anything about it. I just want you to read it today. And I was like, okay, what is this going to be? So I sat at my kitchen table, which is where I always read my scripts. The first time I read Lady Bird was in this one specific chair. So I sit in the chair and I had heard of Catelyn Moran. So I knew kind of um, generally her spirit and her ethos of her work, but I had never read the novel. I'm ashamed to say I had never read the novel. And so I read the script. It opens on a 16-year-old girl with a 
huge imagination and a huge spirit. And she's sitting and swinging her foot in a library in Wolverhampton, England. And I could not have pointed Wolverhampton to you on a map. Like I would not have known anywhere in relationship to London or anywhere where it was, but I knew this girl. I just, as I went on reading it and sort of this, this intense, overwhelming, too much. She's too big. She's too much. She loves the world. She loves to write. She's really a giving, imaginative spirit. And I just knew her. I just, I had no reason to, as you said, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm from such a different, I grew up in the 90s. I mean, I was born in the 90s. I didn't grow up in the 90s. So I just had no real reason. But Catelyn's writing is so deeply felt and I always say it kind of it sparkles like there was just this energy moving through it this really beautiful connective energy that I felt from the script and I called him back and I said I've never been more scared of anything in my life ever (laughs) I have to try so then was sort of this process of asking the creative team to take a chance on auditioning me uh Allison Owen who's one of our producers who's incredible she was at the Savannah Film Festival that year and had seen Lady Bird but it wasn't going to come out in the UK for about five more months so if she hadn't been in Savannah and seen it I would never have gotten this opportunity because she watched it and thought that girl could be Johanna, but she's very American. So, you know, we have to figure this out. So I Skyped with the creative team and Koki, our incredible director, and I got to talking and she was explaining Wolverhampton to me. And she lives in London and has lived in London most of her life. And she said, you know, even I couldn't begin to do a Wolverhampton accent. The West Midlands is such a specific area of the country with its very specific way of speaking. And she was like, even from London, I wouldn't really be able to do the accent. <laughs> and I said to her, I really took a bold swing. I'm, I'm not usually this bold, but I said, well, then wouldn't anyone be doing an accent? Like, unless you found someone from the exact town that Catelyn was from, anyone would be doing an accent. So why not me? And I remember her head sort of she did like one of those and she was like, I never really thought of it that way. I mean, even, even someone from London will be doing an accent. And it's sort of like, I don't know, I just secretly in my head was like, yes, you did something right. And they took a chance to audition me. So they flew me to London and I had the most extraordinary audition experience I've ever had, which I really, especially to a setting like this, I would love to kind of touch upon sure. because it's just so rare. Typically auditions are, at least for me, they can be really nerve wracking. And it's often like you get one chance, you know, if you're down to the wire, they put like 40 people behind a desk with their arms crossed and they're just waiting for you, you know, to impress them. And I landed in London and was greeted by this all female creative team that was so welcoming and they wanted the experience to be really holistic. So they took me on walks around East London, which are most similar to what, it looked like in the 90s and what Johanna would have been seeing and venues she would have been going to. And Koki and I just talked about the character. And then at the end of the day, we did sort of the formal audition, but it was around a kitchen table and they set up a camera kind of in the back. It was very just relaxed. And they hired another actor to read with me. So it wasn't just kind of a cold, sterile, someone on the other side. It was a really kind of incredible scene partner. And they just, they set me up for success. And I would not be here speaking to you guys about this movie if it wasn't for their approach, I think, to the audition process. So I'm so, so grateful for that. And then I went back home and I had nightmares for two weeks that I didn't get it. And then I got the part. 
her stellar acting aside, Miss Feldstein also brought her years of professional experience to the set. All the more important since now her name was on top of the call sheet. When I was going to do How to Build a Girl, it was the first time that I had ever been given the task of being at the center of a film by myself. And I was really, really nervous and really excited, of course, but also very nervous. And I just thought, what what do I want the crew and the cast and Koki and the creative team to remember me by? That was like sort of a an important thing for me. I can be a little existential sometimes. And I remember just saying, I'd rather be kind than good in a scene. So that is sort of my my ethos as an actor, I would say. But wow. I think there's this sort of twisted energy in this business that like really talented people can be rude and I don't believe in that. I think the only thing that matters at the end of the day is like kindness and respect and movies don't happen. We all know this. Everyone out there knows this that movies don't happen if one actor shows up on a set and no one else shows up. Movies are if nothing but a incredibly collaborative experience and if you don't have an incredibly talented person setting the set or pulling focus or all of those jobs you don't have a film and so i really wanted when i was finally given that opportunity alone to lead a film to be a part of something that was positive and that had a an energy on set that people were excited to go to work to be a part of and everyone was working so hard we did not have a lot of money and we did not have a lot of time so i just i really and i stand by that i am always like first in the van first on set always memorized always ready because there are so many talented people in this world. I know hundreds of them and I got to be here. So that's like the kind of the message that always goes through my head. And I think it's important because I do think we kind of, you know, the stories of people not coming out of their trailers or not being memorized. I hate them because I think there are so many people that are just as talented that would. And so I always try to be that person and that's very important to me. I'd rather than be like she wasn't that great but she was very sweet. <laughs> um cuz I think it's, you know, I think that that's just important to who I am. Beanie Feldstein's work and temperament were even more impressive when you consider that this was her most intimidating role to date. When I told you that story about when I called my agent, I said, I've never been more scared of anything in my life. I have to try. That was exactly what I said to him. I mean, if you've watched the film, there are a lot of very vulnerable, scary moments. I, there, I could, you could start anywhere. You could start with the accent. You could start with the wardrobe. You could start with the sexuality of the character. <laughs> I mean, there's so many kind of different aspects to Johanna on her journey that really intimidated me but every time i got nervous i just came back to this feeling of if someone had been brave enough to make this movie what the industry the creative team the person acting in it if they had been brave enough to give this movie a chance and create it how much it would have meant to me at 14 or 15 to see it and how it would have really changed the way i look at the world and i I hope for you all and I hope for myself and the rest of my career that we all make things that would matter to us because I think that is what we should be doing to put a story into the world that is fresh and new and will help craft who you want to be and who you were and who you are and how to build a girl couldn't have been that more for me. So whenever I got nervous, I would just think about either myself at that young age, but if I was still nervous and that didn't help enough, I would think about I don't have nieces but I have nephews 
and their best friend is named Emma and she's like my niece and I would just think about Emma I was just like this movie is for Emma and one day she'll watch it and I hope it makes her feel braver and I hope it makes her feel less alone but in order for her to feel that I have to live these moments honestly as Johanna so I just sort of came back to who we were making the movie for and whatever project you're about to do or you act in in your career I hope that that's a helpful thing for you to just sort of think about why you're making it and then I think the fear turns into excitement or pride but the biggest moment of fear was the final monologue. And for those of you that have not yet seen it, I'm sorry to spoil it, but my character does a direct address. So she speaks, she breaks the fourth wall and she speaks into the lens. And it fights every instinct you have inside of you. I mean, all of like the work I put in to go from theater to film to stop looking at the lens. And then all of a sudden they're like, just go right down the barrel. And I was like, and the monologue was to this day one of the most beautiful things I've ever read and gotten to say and powerful sort of specifically meant to give a message to the audience so that was the moment of of pure fear and it is sort of funny to do and also exhilarating to do those things that we've trained ourselves out of again it's like those moments when we grow when we push ourselves into a different space all of the cast and crew needed to work that much harder to capture the deeply personal tone of caitlin moran's beloved novel The film is such a comedic, joyous kind of beginning. And then as Johanna's life gets darker, the film gets darker, which which of course makes sense. And there is a moment of trigger warning to those that haven't seen it. There is a moment of self-harm in the film. And it is a really sort of, Catelyn writes about it so beautifully and the script was so beautifully written around the scene. And I was really nervous for it because in most of the work that I've done, I have never explored something like that. I had never been asked to kind of go to that place before, and I was really nervous. And just personally, I have so much genuine respect for every method of acting or filmmaking that there is because I am not personally someone that has a very specific one that I go to or that I am a student of. But for me, it's easier on myself to get to that place if I allow myself to come out of it between takes or between setups. So when I'm in the scene and when I'm doing it, I can just focus so tunnel vision on that feeling. But then when we're having like a 30 minute, 40 minute turnaround, it is too emotionally kind of exhausting for me to stay in that place. I feel like it gives too much energy to the break and doesn't give me enough energy to do more later on. So for me, I found just personally, I kind of joke that I'm like a snack and a laugh between takes kind of girl. Like it's, it's easier and more helpful for me to relieve the pressure of the situation than to stay in it. And that was a lesson that I kind of solidified for myself during that scene. One thing that I asked Koki to do while we were filming it was to play Alfie Allen's song as John Kite. I find silence in general kind of unnerving, but specifically the idea of going to that place and being that vulnerable on a set with everyone kind of silent staring at you, I thought music would sort of be able to take me to that place because I'm thinking about the character. I'm not someone that like thinks about something in my own life. I'm just kind of reacting as the character. So Johanna has betrayed every single person in her life. She is alone. She has nothing. 
and the person she loves that she's in love with she's betrayed and so i thought the song would kind of trigger me into that feeling for her and so i asked koki to play um daymaking girl which is the first song that he sings in the film and then they ended up in the edit writing another song for alfie and getting him to record it so they could play it during that moment so it was a really beautiful kind of full circle to see that and to learn that they had done that because we played his song while we were filming it but i will say it's it's one of my favorite memories of filming the movie in a specific way which was as i said one specific person on the set can get nothing done and i think that scene is a testament to that because hubert our dp shot that personally handheld and it was such a beautiful safe space that koki had set up for me it's a tiny little room she didn't almost like a intimacy scene she didn't allow anyone else in the room so it was really just like her and hubert and me and and we didn't even need sound because she doesn't say anything so it was so intimate and hubert and i had gotten to know each other so well and he's a very um intense polish man and he's a man of very few words and he was like you do you and i will follow you so it would they set me up for such success because they didn't say like you have to hit this mark you have to do this eyeline like some of those technical things can be difficult or can get in your head especially in a moment like that so hubert said it's a dance between us you go i'll follow and vice versa and it felt like a dance when we were filming it koki would just gently call out like okay now can you take a swig of the bottle can you rip up the newspaper can you look at a picture of john kite and i was again set up for success which i think is such a hugely beautiful gift as an actor another gift beanie feldstein's received over the course of her career has been the chance to work with multiple female directors to get to learn from extraordinary people and work with extraordinary people is sort of why i love to do it uh I think that Lady Bird changed my whole life in so many ways. I would not have been in Hello Dolly if it wasn't for Lady Bird. I would not have been in How to Build a Girl if it wasn't for Lady Bird. But more specifically, I think being a part of something that resonated so deeply with me as an audience member and reading the script for the first time and then getting to be a part of creating it in a way that kind of filled my heart in a way that I just I never knew I would get to be a part of something like that. I could never have dreamt to be a part of a story and bringing a story to life in a way that would have meant just the entire world to me as a viewer. So it set a very high expectation for me very early on in my working life of what I wanted out of each project and so I've been just searching and will continue to search for the right projects that give me that same feeling and also have assembled a group of people as talented and inclusive and brilliant as both Lady Bird and Booksmart but I think Booksmart is a direct reflection of I waited for Booksmart I read things and I didn't feel connected to them and when I read Booksmart I thought this is the same feeling this is it it's a completely different energy in a different genre and a completely different character <laughs> but it has the same same morality it has the same gift to the world i think and a gift to myself getting to be a part of it so i i chase that feeling and i do think sort of you can see it in lady bird and booksmart and how to build a girl and also just to know that i'm a part of a generation that will get to say i've worked with mostly female directors or a majority of female directors it's very important there are so many slightly older actor and actresses or directors and writers that say 
I did not get that. I mean, I did not get that. I didn't work with a woman until I was in my 40s. I didn't, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Olivia Wilde said so beautifully, and I think of this three times a day, she always says, it's not for a lack of talent, it's for a lack of opportunity. And it's so simple, but it's so clear, and it's so true. It's not for the fact that there aren't talented directors or writers of every different sexuality and gender and race and everything else. It is for lack of opportunity. It's for people giving their power over to those people, extending their hand, pulling them into an experience. And I want to be a part of projects that do that. And I just feel really proud because it's kind of a surreal feeling to look to the women that have given me those opportunities and for them to say, I didn't get to say that. I didn't get to say I worked with exclusively female directors or almost, you know. And I'm just so lucky to be entering the industry at a time when that shift is starting to happen. I hope to continue through the rest of my whole life and career to be pushing the industry much farther because there's still so much farther to go as we all know but i do feel that the shift is rumbling and i'm very proud to be a part of that beanie feldstein's also been fortunate to work with actors turned directors like greta gerwig and olivia wilde whose approach to book smart made that tale of two best friends feel that much more real you talk a big game and then you give up just when things get uncomfortable like you jumped in the pool and now you're sad that you're wet like that's bullshit no, no, that's it, bullshit. If I didn't drag you to do things, Amy, you just you wouldn't do that. You 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 don't drag me. You you force me to do whatever you want to do. What does that even mean? You decide what we do and when we do it, and then we always have to do it together. Yeah, I all have the time. to decide because you literally decide nothing. Like I do all the heavy lifting in our friendship. You never take charge. Well, I'm Olivia so told us, told me and Caitlin from the beginning of preparing to do the film that she wanted to do it on Steadicam in one. She wanted the entire scene. She gets out of the pool and does a whole walk through the house before she even meets me. Right. And it's all done study cam. Chris Harhoff, our camera operator, shot Birdman. And so she was like, <laughs> I get to kind of live my dreams with this shot. And I think that's also a beautiful thing about Booksmart is it takes kind of cinematic risks within this teen comedy that is so fun and interesting. But without Chris, Chris is really our third scene partner in that scene because his beautiful camera operating is determining who is talking and who is listening. So he is kind of editing the scene because it is all in one. And so it is, it is his beautiful emotional operating that is conducting the flow and the feel of the scene. And it was actually the only scene that Caitlin and I did not rehearse together. So Caitlin and I lived together the entire filming process and before, and we rehearsed every scene. And Olivia had a no script on set rule, no sides on set rule. So we had to be word perfect on everything. We were not allowed to like take a sneaky peek and re remind ourselves of something. And what was so beautiful about Katie Silberman, our incredible screenwriter who I love more than anything, was these girls are so smart. So we knew from the beginning that the way they spoke had to be very, very, very specific. And so for most of the film, it was not improv. It was very specifically to the script. But there were moments where Olivia and Katie asked Caitlin and I to sort of improv. So if you've seen the film, the scene at the beginning where we're sitting on the lunch tables at school and she's pointing out her crush, 
that scene, Olivia was like, feel free to add whatever you want, kind of let loose. So there was improv throughout the film, but there are certain scenes, specifically the picnic table at the beginning and this scene that are exactly word perfect from Katie's writing to our mouths because you're watching two people that have never fought before, that have never even thought an ill thought of the other person before, explode at each other. And it's really heart-wrenching to watch, and it's very cutting. And it's also so beautifully captured in Olivia's choice to cut the sound, as you said at that point, because when you're fighting with someone you love that much, you get to a point where you don't mean what you say. And I think the film and the filmmaking of that is so poignant and beautiful because they're just, they don't even mean it anymore and they're going at it. And, you know, when I kind of lay it on her at the end, it's worse to not hear it in some way. But that is, again, like a pure collaborative moment because without Chris Harhoff, we would not have been able to do it in one. That's the second take that you see in the film of what we shot, we did four. But also every single background actor has to be fully present and engaged. So it was such a communal kind of moment because if one person's looking in the wrong direction or not committed, it takes away the power of that moment. Part of it is that they're being so watched. So it's a testament to every amazing background actor that came to be with us that day. And as someone who has fought with their best friend and not meant it, and it's been so painful, I think we all kind of like, are thankful that. for that depiction. But yeah, it was, it was fully, fully word for word. So what advice does Beanie Feldstein give to our students looking to break into the industry? I don't know if I have any specific concrete advice for you other than the fact I would say like I always will be a student of this. This It feels very crazy to me to be speaking to you guys with sort of some sort of authority because I still always feel like a student and I think that is what is going to get you the farthest. So I would say continue to grow and learn and push yourself outside of school because from there you will meet all these other people that you can collaborate with and create opportunities with. So whether it's the Groundlings or UCB or Second City or any of these other amazing kind of comedic forces in in LA, be a part of that, meet people, get to know people, start writing with them, create opportunities for yourself. Mindy Kaling, Mindy got her start by writing a play for herself that her and her best friend performed together and then you know, performed it at a tiny theater in New York and it gained notoriety and that's how she became Mindy Kaling. And sometimes there aren't yet in our industry opportunities for everyone and it's not fair and it needs to change. But what we can do is take control of that and write opportunities or collaborate with people that are talented to create opportunities. I always say when I audition, but also in my life, in my personal life, they either want the bean or they don't want the bean. And that (laughs) has been my life motto since I was about 16 years old. And I think it really, I mean, to those of us that are artists and want to be artists as a profession, It's such an important thing to remember that only you can give what you have to give. You are the only person and it might be perfectly right for something. And if it's not, it's the other girl or guy or their, it's their best day of their lives. Like if you don't get something, it is the best day of another person's life. And I always think about that. And that always makes me smile. And I think the greatest gift of my career has been collaboration and learning from other people. So I would say just put yourself in opportunities to do that as much as possible. Sounds like book smart advice to me. 
We want to thank Ms. Feldstein for sharing her amazing journey with our students. And thanks to all of you for listening. This episode was based on the Q&A moderated and curated by Tova Leiter. To watch the full interview or to see our other Q&As, such as Beanie Feldstein's brother, Jonah Hill, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, edited and mixed by Christian Hayden, produced by Christian Hayden and myself, executive produced by Tova Leiter, Jean Sherlock, and Dan Mackler. A special thanks to all our staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time.